Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Yeah. 
big speech time shows up in lots of different moments of life. There's a big speech that's typically given at halftime by a coach who's trying to kind of fire his team up. Maybe they're behind at halftime to go out and win the big game. There's a big speech that's expected from a CEO when Maybe a company has fallen on hard times. Maybe the market has turned on them and they, they've got to get fired back up and, and, and lead to some success. There's a big speech that's expected from a military leader to the military force to tell them that, hey, we've got a struggle in front of us. There's a fight in front of us. There's going to be casualties, but we have got to push forward. Big speech. Sometimes big speeches show up at the beginning of the year. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded of why we're here Reminded of of what we're about and what we do. The big speech is kind of a trope that shows up in movies a lot. I think about the movie Hoosiers and Gene Hackman has a big speech in the locker room with his team before the semifinals of the state championship for the high school team there at Hickory. Or there's the movie Braveheart, maybe more clearly defined for lots of us where you got Mel Gibson that's going up and down the ranks. It's the speech where he tells them they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. The big speech. And the the, the big speech shows up in all kinds of different places because it fires people up and it, it gets them clapping, it gets them yelling, it gets them ready to charge into battle. Now, the Bible has lots of speeches that happen in lots of different places all over the Bible. And there are words that are shared in the Bible that are eternally valuable. But when you talk about a big speech, there's really only one big speech. And it didn't happen like it does in the movies. There wasn't an army that was in waiting who just needed someone to kind of light the fuse for them and they knew what they were gonna do. There wasn't a well-oiled machine of a team that was sitting in the locker room that just needed someone to lead them out onto the floor for the big game. The Bible big speech came in a moment when most of the people who were physically there didn't really know what the mission was. They didn't really know the difficulties that were on their way. They didn't even know that they'd already been trained for what was about to happen. Now the big speech shows up in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. In fact, if you've got your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open with me. You can use your phone, you can use your tablet to this big speech because it's important. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's the very last bit of Matthew 28. It's actually the very last bit of the gospel of Matthew entirely. The big speech is given by Jesus, which is appropriate. But for the people who were there hearing it, it had been emotionally and socially, even physically, a long couple of months. The crucifixion was absolutely traumatic. Their, their leader, their teacher, their friend had been tortured, had been killed in, in the most public, painful, excruciating, and humiliating way. And when they watched it happen, they thought that everything about their last three years of life was kind of lost, kind of over. In fact, most of them didn't even know exactly what they were gonna do with their next day after that. And then three days later, 
the resurrection happened. And when that happened, man, hope was absolutely restored into that group. And not only was hope restored, but their understanding of the power of Jesus was now kind of eye-popping to them. That They weren't really sure what was going to happen next and, and what was on the horizon, but they did know and believe that the power of Jesus could do anything. But unlike the movies... When the big speech happened, no one was lined up for war. When the big speech happened, it didn't happen in a locker room, getting ready to send the team out for the big game. At the time, the content of the big speech took everyone by surprise. Jesus, who had suffered in ways that none of them had. Jesus, who had already overcome the unbeatable enemy of death, Jesus, who had power to do now anything, was leaving the rest of the mission from that point forward with people, with followers, with believers, with human beings just like us. And, and this speech that Jesus gave, it was a simple speech. It wasn't even a long speech, but it was a confusing speech, and it was an alarming speech, and it was unexpected. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in that moment, if you were looking out into the crowd, you would see smiles come across all their faces. And, and you would see high fives start to happen or, or whatever the Aramaic version of high fives was at the time. That would start to happen around the crowd. There'd be somebody in the back that would yell out, you demand Jesus. But Jesus continued. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, for a group of people who were still waiting for a warrior savior to come and knock out all the other kingdoms on earth and set up God's kingdom right here, this speech was not what they were expecting. Because instead of them standing in the background and supporting Jesus with cheers while Jesus did all the work, it's sounding like Jesus is asking them to go in front and that Jesus is going to stand beside them in support. The message that Jesus shares is you've got this, you know what to do, I trust your instincts. And without digging too deep into the language of the big speech, the message that Jesus shared is simply this. You are powerfully released to share Jesus. You, the people who know me, the people who trust me, the people who believe in me, who get the idea that your sins have now been washed over by grace, that the punishment that you should have received because of your sin, I already paid for you on the cross, and that payment has gone in your favor from the moment that you chose to believe. You are now the plan to get the freedom out to everybody else. The big speech said that the people Jesus was talking to were now defined, their identity was wrapped up in the mission of Christ. The big speech was not about going out and taking down the enemy. The big speech was not about taking the floor and, and scoring more points than the opponents. The big speech was about being released with the mission of overwhelming the world with the grace of of God, overwhelming the world with the good news that that grace was meant for them. 
and that that grace would save them from any mess and any pain and any disappointment that the world was going to throw at them. The mission wasn't about deleting people or defeating people or beating people. The mission was about adding people to the freedom that comes from forgiveness. And when you read through the rest of the New Testament and you read about the people who were there, who heard this big speech in person, what we see from them is that from that point forward, that mission identified them for the rest of their life. It was their identity. It was how they defined themselves. The mission that Jesus gave in his big speech. But here's where we get confused. It was their identity It was not their occupation. See, the people that Jesus talked to, they continued to work. They continued to learn trades. They continued to do whatever they needed to do to make a living and to make money. But that occupation, that job, that trade, that money, that living was not what was going to define them. That was not their identity. They identified as followers as those who were of Christ. In fact, they became known, if you read through many different portions of the book of Acts, they became known as participants in a thing called the way. Again, not a title, not an occupation, just regular people who now understood that their life was defined by sharing, by overwhelming the world with the good news of God's grace so that people would know that if you had the grace of God in your life, it changed the way your life worked. It was grace that's not just forgiveness. It was grace that was a reboot to life. It was grace that was a redefinition of life. It was grace that changed people's identity the moment they accepted it. And for those of us who are in this room right now, who have accepted that grace, when that happened, okay, for some of us we gotta think back a long way, okay, when that moment happened that we accepted God's grace, it recolored our life and it redefined who we are. But sometimes, enough time goes by that we forget what the grace has done for us and what that grace continues to do for us. Around here at First Christian Church, we look at that big speech that Jesus gave. And as we look at the big speech and we take in the mission that he sent us on, we restate it in in something that maybe we can put to memory and, and always have at the forefront of our mind, and that is that we as a church are just here leading people closer to Jesus. See, Jesus freely offers life-changing, re-identifying grace and forgiveness to everyone who is here and everyone who is beyond my voice right now. The same grace is available for all. And part of leading people closer to Jesus is about reminding those of us who have already accepted his grace that he already changed who we are. He already changed our identity. And that has not faded. Our identity is in Christ. See, Paul wrote these words to different churches. He said, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body 
so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Uh, Paul also said in Romans chapter six, verse six and following, he said, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We were changed. We became new people. We had a new identity and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Or there's what he said in Galatians chapter three, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. We were changed because of grace. John wrote in 1 John chapter three, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. An identity in Christ, an identity found in his grace, because it's not defined by occupation, it's not defined by success, it's not defined by money or relationship status, it's not defined by class or politics or popularity or fame. Identity is defined by the grace of from Jesus Christ. That's the good news for you. And it's the good news that we are still given to share. We are still charged with as a mission to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. And that's not just my role as senior minister here at First Christian Church, and it's not just the role of those who are on our ministry staff here at FCC. There are still marching orders that were given. The big speech was meant for all of us. It was given to you. This morning, Jesus is saying to you, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yea, Jesus smiles across our face. You, the man, Jesus, now. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I say that. And with some of the same surprise that I see in your eyes and I see on your faces that are the same kind of surprise that Jesus saw when he said this 2,000 years ago, there are some of you who already have kind of working in your mind right now this idea that says, yeah, that part's not really meant for me. Stuart, I hear what you're saying, but you see, I, I'm not good at that, and I'm not sure that's really who I am, not my wheelhouse, and probably if I did it, I'd mess it up. I'd actually make people move further away from Jesus rather than closer to him, and I'm just not the person. In fact, I have other ways that I kind of define myself as a follower of Jesus, and so I'm gonna stick with those, and this part's not mine. Well, to all of those objections, I've heard all of those before, let me just say, you're wrong. That simple. You're wrong. For you to believe that what Jesus called us to do, us to do, all of us to do, is not your mission, is wrong. But, just because that mission was meant for you, and that mission was meant just as much for the person sitting next to you who's a follower of Jesus, and just because that mission was meant for everyone who's watching us online right now, and if they're watching in a living room and there's somebody else sitting in the couch next to them in their living room who's also a follower of Jesus, it was meant for them too. But it doesn't mean that we have to pigeonhole what the mission means and looks like for you. Some of us get this idea that what Jesus said was that everybody needs to be standing on a stage or standing on a street corner preaching a sermon. And when you look through the Bible, that version of the mission only translated that way for a very few people in the Bible. The mission of sharing the good news of God's grace showed up differently 
for most everybody else. And it might just happen that way for you too. See, the mission is about inviting. And repeatedly, this shows up in the Bible. We see this idea of inviting um, happen with the, the woman at the well that had an encounter with Jesus, and she and Jesus got into a debate about a number of different things, and Jesus had an answer everywhere along the way. And when she was done talking to Jesus, she was overjoyed, and so she went back into town to start talking to people. Now, you gotta realize that in town, she was not really well thought of, And when she went into town, she didn't tell people and teach people some theological doctrine piece that she really wanted to kind of expound for people so that they would understand. She didn't even go into town and try and explain to people the the, the fact that Jesus is 100% human and 100% divine and try and help them make sense of that 200% and how that fits into one person. She didn't do any of that. Without anything extra, she just invited them to come out and meet the guy that knew everything about her and had changed her identity. Jesus tells the story of a great banquet that took place. And in this parable that he tells, he says that the master told the servants not to go out into the, uh, into the city and explain the menu that was gonna happen at this great banquet to people. They weren't supposed to go out and really kind of go through everything so that everybody would know what they'd be missing if they didn't come. They weren't supposed to go out and explain how the hall was decorated and how beautiful everything was. They weren't supposed to go out and tell everybody exactly how they needed to dress for a fancy, fancy dinner. No, instead Jesus said that the the master said to the servants, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full Jesus tells the same story over in Matthew, and Matthew puts it this way. He says, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. The mission is not always about answering all the questions and giving some great speech yourself. Often the mission is still about inviting. Inviting people to come to a Sunday morning worship service. Inviting people to come to your life group because the people in your life group matter to you and this person matters to you and you might as well get all the people that matter to you together. Or inviting a family to come so that their kids can experience Kid Town. Inviting a middle school student or a high school student to come and participate and elevate. Maybe it's about inviting someone to help you with a service project that we're doing so that they can just come alongside you and just be hands and feet, whether they know they're being hands and feet for Jesus yet or not is not the point. Inviting is part of the mission that you can do. In fact, you were commanded to do it. But there are additional versions of the mission. And yes, we are all about inviting and that needs to be a big portion of the mission, but there is also the place and the prominent place of speaking, but let me be clear about what that is. I can point it out in a couple of places in scripture. If we go to Acts chapter uh, seven and eight, in fact, let me back up a little bit to Acts chapter six. In Acts, Acts chapter six, there's a problem that's happening in the church. There are these widows that are being overlooked in food distribution, and so the apostles decide that there need to be some men that are selected for that task. Okay, so these are guys who are being selected by the whole church to now be the food delivery guys for the church. They are the door dash for the church in Jerusalem, and they're gonna take food to these widows every day. That was their task. That was their ministry. But just because they had a ministry, just because they had a task, it did not exclude them from the greater mission that was part of the big speech. In fact, we're told about two of the seven in detail in the chapters that follow. In chapter seven, we're told about Stephen, who was one of the guys who was the DoorDash guy for the church, except that he kind of had these occasions where he started preaching and people in town started coming to listen to what he had to say. And they were moved by what he had to say. And many people 
changed their lives and identified with Christ because of him. Chapter 8, we're introduced to Philip. Philip left Jerusalem, went to a different place, went to Samaria. He started preaching, but it wasn't just about preaching to a crowd of people. We have two different occasions in Acts chapter 8 where he had one-on-one conversations with people. One was Simon the sorcerer. The other was this Ethiopian who was in a chariot. And in both occasions, Philip felt led by the Holy Spirit to speak. He didn't know what he was going to say. He didn't know how he was going to say it. But because he felt compelled to move into a conversation in these people's lives one-on-one, he trusted that that same Holy Spirit would guide him through the conversation. And so he spoke up. In fact, one of my favorite descriptive passages of the church shows up in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now, at this particular point in Jerusalem, there's persecution that's happening very heavily on the church. It's been eight years since the church got started. The church is struggling because of all this persecution. The church is growing, but people are having significant death threats put on their lives. And so because of how significant the persecution is, the majority of the church leaves. And they didn't just leave for a couple of days till things died down. They left, which means they left behind their homes. They left behind their farms. They left behind their occupations. They they left behind, in some cases, extended family because of what they believed. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the message translation translates these words of this group on a mission this way. It says, forced to leave home base, The followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. I had a seminary professor that used to use this verse to try and coin a phrase that he called gossiping the gospel. Because when you're a seminary professor, it's got to be alliterative or it doesn't count. So that's just what he did. But the idea was that wherever they went, whether it was in a coffee shop or whether they were taking on a new job and getting introduced to the people they'd be working with, whoever they were around, they told them about Jesus. Which goes along with the marching orders that Peter gave in 1 Peter chapter three. It was Peter who said this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared when the opportunity arises to fulfill the mission by speaking up. But Peter wasn't done with this thought. He added this instruction. But do this with gentleness and respect. That gentleness and respect factor allowed the church to start day one with 3,000 people We're told a couple chapters later that the church had grown to 5,000. We're told that the Lord added to their number daily, not Sunday by Sunday, but daily those who were being saved. And they were inviting and they were speaking. But they were also always loving. See, if love is what sets Jesus apart... If love is what makes the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ unique and special and different than any other organization, any other company, any other religion that's out there in the world, if it is the love of Jesus, love that is based not on love deserved, not on love earned, but love and grace and mercy that is freely given, then how can we share the good news, whether it's through inviting or whether it's through speaking, if we're not constantly looking to stand out with love. It's what was different about that first church in Jerusalem than anything else that was happening in Jerusalem. The Lord added to their number daily and God's work happened and was not disconnected from the attitude of the people who made up the church. We read the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, but it was because 
of the full mission fulfillment that the people had, that they were inviting, that they were speaking, that they were loving, that this community, this church was appealing, was attractive, was alluring to everybody in Jerusalem and everyone around the world. The Lord added to his kingdom through a community that invited, that spoke up, that loved people with the mission of Jesus. The big speech that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28 makes far more sense to us now than it maybe did to those who were hearing it for the first time. But it was and is a big speech that moved hearts and hands and feet and mouths for the mission that is still ours today. Therefore, you go. You go and make disciples. You are being moved. You are being inspired. You are being challenged to invite, and to speak, and to love. as the good news of the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you have changed us. You've changed our identity. You have changed how we define ourselves all because of Jesus. If it were not for Jesus, if it were not for his grace, we would be left handling things on our own, doing things our own way, trying to make everything work out. And we have learned over and over and over again that we are miserable failures at that. But because of your grace, because of your forgiveness and your love and your mercy that are words that we don't fully understand until we know you, you have made us complete. You have made us filled. And you have sent us on a mission to share that grace, to share that love, to share that mercy with more and more and more people that the world may know that that grace, that life-changing identity-altering grace was meant for them. And that there's absolutely no mess and no pain that this world can give out that cannot be overwhelmed and overcome by your grace. God, would you help us right now to remember that, those of us who have already accepted it, and be reminded of the recoloring of our life, the redefinition of our life, our new identity in you. And may that inspire us to share that life-changing grace with others. We thank you for Jesus who was born into our world but was also our teacher, was also a sacrifice, was also a victor over death and is the one who gave the big speech to give us our mission for this life to give us our identity it's in his name that we pray amen I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning Maybe you're here today and you need to make a decision for Jesus. Maybe today needs to be a day that you say yes to him and you let him lead your life. And you get baptized in his name and you understand the grace that can overcome your sin.
Maybe that needs to happen for you today. And if it does, we invite you to walk right down these aisles. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you, answer questions for you. Or maybe today needs to be a day that, that you've already accepted his grace, but you've been looking for a family to be part of that's seeking to follow after his grace. And we'd love to have you with us here at First Christian Church. If you have one of those decisions to make, we invite you to walk down the aisles as we sing here in just a moment, and there'll be people here to talk with you. But for the rest of us, may we understand our marching orders, that they were meant for us. And may we celebrate that. May we accept the challenge. May we lift up our praise and our celebration to our God and our King. May we worship Him for what He has charged us to do. Let's sing together. surrender all I'm living for your glory on the earth this passion in my heart this stirring in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know I'm living for your soul. 